All right, so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So last week, uh, ah, it's a little small. We identified ways in which Holy Spirit operated in both the Old Testament and the New Testament before what we would call the church age. Um, again, it wasn't exhaustive. This is the type of thing that people will, I mean, you can spend years just working on the Old Testament stuff um, with Holy Spirit. So I don't want you to think this is a coverall. I just want to say that again. It's just a really quick synopsis of what was going on. Um, we looked at him, Holy Spirit, as a person, and he did these different things with people. Um, he was creator at the beginning. He combated against depravity and sin with humankind. He empowered people as a helper to do miraculous things. We saw that he inspired people to teach his words. He was a counselor bringing peace and wisdom. Um, he was helping those to prophesy throughout the Old Testament. Um, and he pointed people to the Messiah. And uh, he was promised in the Old Testament to be with even more people. There's two passages that we looked at, one that was pertaining to Jews getting Holy Spirit, and the next one, Holy Spirit for the entire world. And then we looked at this list again, just, just in the Gospels, how, how Holy Spirit was doing these same things. Um, so today we're going to start in Acts 2. I gave some homework out. Did people read Acts this week? Anybody read Acts? Good, 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 good. I see some nods. All right, no judgment if you didn't. I just encourage you to read it this week. Um, so Acts 2 um, is what people refer to as Pentecost, even though Pentecost was kind of something before what we call Pentecost. And there's a Jewish history with the feast. And um, we're just going to read through it. We're going to talk about the first part of Acts 2. And I've always had some questions, and I had to do some digging to figure out exactly what things might mean. So I kind of have an interesting tidbit here. But that is a famous painting of Acts 2. And I'll buy a Big B coffee to anybody that can tell me who the painter was, those of you that remember anything from any kind of Western humanities class. So if you've got it, tell me, and I'll buy you a Big B coffee. Um, what's that? Who painted that famous painting of Pentecost? Right there on the screen. If anybody knows. I'm a history teacher, and I like the humanities, so that's the only reason I, I asked that. Let's just see if anybody knew. Um, so we're just going to read through Acts, and we're going to look at the symbolism in the first part of Acts 2 and kind of compare it to symbolism that existed beforehand and why God is choosing to use these things as symbols and actions. Um, Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The first thing I want to point out is, again, we talked, we talked quite a bit last week about the idea of Holy Spirit as wind 
and the word God's breath, breath and wind being the same word in the Old Testament, we see once again that as the Holy Spirit's being poured out, again, the wind is coming forth. It's this idea of the Holy Spirit is like the wind. And um, it's just reinforced again in the beginning of the church age. And that's why you hear a lot of people will pray for the wind and they'll, they'll say things like that. And I think that that's biblical if you would like to pray for it like that. I think that's quite fine. Um, but this idea that when the air comes and it fills you, right? So you're getting filled. And, and so that, that makes sense. That you can read the Bible and you can come up with. What's always made me wonder is what's going on with the tongues of fire? Because if you look in the Bible, you only see one other place where the, the term tongues of fire comes up. And uh, it's in Isaiah. And it's, it's pertaining to, to God burning things down, um, which doesn't seem to be the same connotation. But, you know, it's only one other thing we can find in the Bible. So when I look at this, I always ask myself, how would a second temple Jew, which are all these dudes are second temple Jews, they're gathered. How are they going to see the tongues of fire? So I did a little digging into second temple uh, books and texts and to see what they're thinking, what, they're, what, the, what the symbolism might mean for them. And I did find one, which is very interesting because it actually, it, this could be what the tongues of fire represents. I don't know. Some people get wigged out if you mention First Enoch. But we're going to take a little bit of First Enoch here. Uh, we've talked about Enoch in the past, the book of First Enoch. It's a second temple Jewish book that they had. It was in early copies of the Septuagint, which was the, the Jewish Bible. Um, and the Catholics kept it for a while. Eastern Orthodox, I believe, have it as one of their books. But it, it didn't make it in, in the Council of Nicaea, um, which is fine. Not saying it's scripture. I always have to do the disclaimer. It's not scripture, but it's, it's an informative book about Second Temple beliefs that all of these people had and quoted. Some quotes in the Bible. Um, Enoch is getting a tour of heaven. We know in Genesis it says Enoch's, Enoch was taken up with God. He walked with God. Enoch is doing one of his tours of heaven, um, and he comes along this. And, and this is the only place I could find the phrase outside of, of the Bible and Second Temple ch uh, text. Tongues of fire, fire alarm. Mm. I approached a wall which was built of white marble and surrounded by tongues of fire. And I came into the tongues of fire and draw near to the great house. And behold, there was an opening before me, a second house, which is greater than the former, and everything was built with tongues of fire. So he's walking into temples in heaven that are made of fire. The temples were made of these tongues of fire. Um... Yahweh was inhabiting the different things in heaven. He's got his throne room, and then there were temples to Yahweh in heaven, according to Enoch, the book of Enoch. I don't think Enoch wrote it. Um, the heavenly temples built with the tongues of fire. Yahweh was inhabiting those temples of tongues of fire. The believers are the new temple, which is reinforced by Paul. I think that's what's happening is these bricks, these tongues of fire, these fiery bricks, however you want to say it, are dispersed, and they see them over top of each other. And I think, that, I think that in Acts 2, I think that's what that's representing, is God is declaring, and Paul reinforces this later, many, many times, God is representing, you are now the temple. The Holy Spirit is in you. 
You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. These tongues of fire are on you because you are now the temple. The church is the temple. And, and Jesus talked about the church, the body, and the temple. Paul reinforces this, even saying that we're a temple for the Holy Spirit. I think that's what it meant. I don't think... I think a lot of times when we look at this passage, we get the wind, which is cool. We can understand the symbolism. Sometimes we get with the tongues of fire, and it's just like God is just like, this is a pyrotechnic show, and the tongues of fire is power. But I think it's more than that. I don't, I don't ever, I think that God purposely uses things, and, and the tongues of fire were for the second temple church. And I think tongues of fire, this is what it meant to the second temple church. So just a reinforcement that your body is a temple filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's what's being messaged. I could be wrong. We can ask God when we get to heaven. So just remember that, thinking about your body as the temple, especially as we talk about Holy Spirit. So they receive the tongues of fire of the wind. They start speaking in, in other tongues. And now they, were dwelling in, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. It's Pentecost. So they're all there to feast. They're all there to, to join the festival. Um, they said roughly Jerusalem at the time was the size of like 50,000 people. They say that during festivals, they think that it's, it's possible that the, the city becomes filled with about 150,000 people. And so the Jews are scattered at this time. They're still, only, only some of them came back from exile. A lot of them moved to other places. So you've got Jews gathering for the feast from all these different places, all these different languages, and they've all come to follow their feast, even if they didn't speak, you know, even if they were not Aramaic speakers. Um, so, and at this time, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us from our own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So we can get into the symbolism here, but this is... We've talked about this before. This is the reversal of the Tower of Babel, where God scattered. He took, he took the one tongue away from the world. This is a reversal. This is him coming back, preparing to gather up those nations that had been dispersed. Now, many signs and wonders were done regularly. I'm going to jump ahead now to Acts 5. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick in the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So this is just a continuation of Jesus' ministry at this point. And they're using, they're using the terms unclean spirits and different things to take you back to what, to what Luke was talking about in Luke and what was going on in Luke. So, so we see them continue on with this. And if you read Acts, Acts is the story. It's the story of that early church. It's what's going on in the church. 
um, it's in a narrative form, whereas your, your letters that you get later on throughout the New Testament aren't necessarily in narrative form, but they're teachings. So that's why I, I like start with Acts, go through, kind of get an idea of what's going on, see what Holy Spirits are doing in the beginning of the church age. Um, and if you go through Acts, you're going to find that same list that we found in the Old Testament, the same list that we found before Acts 2. Um, the creative solutions, the creative miracles, combated against depravity and sin, the empowered helper, the miraculous things, the teaching, the Holy Spirit helping people to point to the Messiah, bringing peace, helping those to prophesy. You see all that stuff again. So what we have right now is we have just a continuation of the same thing. That's what we see in, in the book of Acts. And so as we go further, um, I want to start with Galatians 5 and just bring up the idea that the Holy Spirit is helping people with, with staying out of sin and helping to give them the power to combat the sinful nature. And Galatians 5 is good because this is your basis for when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So right there, having some issues in your life, buckle down, try to walk with the Spirit, pay attention to what the Spirit is saying. He's there to help you so that you're not gratifying those desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the Spirit or the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh being sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And it's, it's interesting, he just does the catch-all right after, like, drunkenness and orgies, you know, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So it's this idea that the Spirit is here to help you take on those issues. Those are things that you run into in life. Those are things that, in some cases, our culture says those are wonderful things. Sometimes maybe even pr promotes um, some of the indulgences and in, in those. And, and God is saying no. And the Holy Spirit's here to help you because God understands what those are. Jesus understands what those are. Jesus lived in the flesh. Um, so there is just this idea that the Holy Spirit, he's there to help you combat, combat this stuff. It's, it's, I mean, there's some discipline involved in this. I'm sure there's discipline involved with this. When I have issues with stuff, there's discipline involved. But there's also trying to center on what Holy Spirit is telling me to do. Because if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing according to him, I'm less likely to get messed up in all the, the, the messy stuff. Um, now we're just going to briefly...
How do you acknowledge them? I think it can be. I think this is a question of its own sermon. I think that um, we're going to talk about hearing the voice of God. And I think it, there's, there's a teaching and a walking out of learning to identify those voices. And I think that that's something that we can do a little bit of teaching on, but I think there's experiential knowledge that goes with that too. I think that obviously if you're in situations that are not of the spirit, coming out of those situations or that time that you're spending in that area will probably be influencing. I don't know if it's going to be the first thing you think about, um, but you're going to be more likely to think about those things if you're surrounding yourself with those things, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, that's a good question. That's a, that's a full question. And that's one of the things that are coming in our Holy Spirit outline was hearing God. So we'll probably talk about that. So, sorry I can't, I'm not in-depth, but it's a good question. Um, so yeah. So, Holy Spirit helping you to combat these. We're just going to look at the list of gifts. There's five passages in the New Testament that people refer to as list of the spiritual gifts. We're just going to read through them. Again, we're not, we're not teaching on specific gifts right now. That comes later. So, we're just going to go through these passages so we can look at those, and we're going to give a list of the gifts. Um, just so I can show you that the list of the gifts just echo everything else that we've already talked about. It is, it is a continued flow. There's nothing. The only thing groundbreaking about the spiritual gifts is now they're available for all of us. It's not just individuals. That's the only thing that, you know, that's the only thing. That's a big thing. I don't want it to sound like that's minimal, but I'm just trying to show you that it's a continuation throughout the entire Bible. Um, but now it's for everyone. everyone. And everyone at the same time can experience these things. It's not not individual dwellings. It's he's in all of us. We are the temple. And he's in all of us individually. And he's also in all of us as a group. And it's, it, it's, it's a mystery. We don't understand it. But um, so the first list of gifts, we'll look at Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, and what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, 
the one who exhorts in his exhortation, and the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with a zeal, and the one who does, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So there's one list, and I've, I got it all composed later. We're going to skip to 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want, to, want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one in the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So there's another, another list. Um, and then further on in that part, of, in just in that very chapter, it, there's, there's another list per se that he's giving out. So later on in 1 Corinthians 12, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? This is him asking questions. Um, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Next list, Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful, deceitful schemes." So again, the building up through the spiritual gifts, different list of spiritual gifts. There are differing teachings on whether shepherds or pastors, and like together we'd say the shepherd is the pastor and the teacher are one or two gifts in this list. I've looked, I don't know Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but I have the ability to look up stuff in Greek and it probably takes me longer than I need to, but it does look like in the Greek, with the verbology, everything about it, it looks like it's two things, just from a grammar standpoint. And now as we know more about Canaan Greek, we know that's probably correct. That's probably two gifts. Um, but for a while, you might hear some people teach that as one. So if you've ever heard that list and they throw a pastor teacher together, that's a somewhat older um, interpretation of that. And then First Peter 4 is a, is a list that people forget about because it's a very basic two-thing list. But uh, Peter's talking, and the end of all things is at hand. 
Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, whoever speaks, whoever serves, those are his two gifts that he lists there, which just complement the other stuff that we're going on. So again, there's kind of a list of of the five different passages in the list of gifts. You can see overlap between the list of spiritual gifts from it. So there's definitely, it's, there's continuity. Um, that's just where, where that's at. And of course, it's, you know, Paul's writing those first four lists, so there's going to be continuity. It's Paul. Um, but, you know, Peter throws in a little bit with receiving the gifts. So there's your list overview. We're just, we're just touching on that. These are things that we're going to, some of these become points that you talk about for a whole sermon. Like, what is prophecy in the church age? And those will have their own, their own teachings. But now you kind of have somewhere you can go to if you want to look at the list, kind of want to dig in on your own. Um, wasn't here to prove anything with the spiritual gifts, just to look at the list. Um, a lot of people consider 1 Corinthians 12 to be the chapter on spiritual gifts. They really say that's where you look at for your guidance on spiritual gifting. Um, it's important that when we do dive into 1 Corinthians 12, we are going to dive into it looking at what Paul is saying to a bunch of converted Greek pagans. And that's an important context to understand who is Paul writing to, why is Paul writing this from what we can attain? Um, and in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is correcting their worldview to help them place Holy Spirit in their worldview. Um, so I want to look at worldviews at the time just shortly here. Um, this is one of the things we'll do before we wrap up because as we go forward talking about spiritual gifts and reading these passages in depth, you need to have this in your mind. Um, we're going to look at the typical ancient Near East worldview. And the typical ancient Near East worldview would be kind of that Mediterranean spread there, is what I would call it. Um, I'm going to give a very general approach because I don't want to take forever teaching this. But I would consider, you know, your Babylonian influence, Sumerian influence before Babylon, um, what the Assyrians were doing what the Egyptians were doing and how they viewed the world. And I would even say that there's overlap with the Greek stuff for the most part. So what the Greeks are thinking in their worldview um, and how it's different than that of a second temple Jew. Because um, when you read Paul's letters, the letters that Paul is writing, he's addressing certain groups. And sometimes he addresses things, you can tell that he's addressing them in a certain way because of what's going on there regionally. Um, just going to do a very general ancient Near East worldview. Uh, the world created by the gods, usually for them, the world is created out of the material of a dead god. So in the case of like the Sumerians, Marduk slays the chaos serpent 
seven-headed, nine-headed beast, whatever they thought it was, and establishes order, and out of the carcass of Tiamat, the world is made. The materials are made from the body of the dead, dead gods. Egypt has something very similar, the idea that the material world is based off of spiritual first. Um, but, but that it is based off of the material of the spiritual beings. Uh, they had a view of the heavens, the earth, and the underworld. I think, um, I think in Brian Ephesians, I think you showed the circles, right? It's that circle thing that they always pop up pictures for. It's the idea that, you know, the heavens are here, the earth is here, the underworld is always below somewhere, it's in the earth. Um, the ancient Near East were polytheistic. You have gods vying for power and followers. Uh, some are more powerful than others, regional and nationalistic. You can see early on that some gods are kind of duplicates of gods, just given different names in different cultures. Um, the humans were created to serve the gods. So in Sumerian Babylonian thought, which was the earliest, the idea was the gods just got tired of doing things and working. And so since they got tired, they made these they made these human things. The human things were going to do the work for them. And so they were going to kick back. And now they can just do whatever they feel like. They don't have to do the work. The humans are supposed to do the work. So it's kind of like an impersonal servant thing. Um, some gods detested humans entirely. Some wanted to help the humans if it satisfied some kind of selfish goal. Um, they, they also believed that some people were incarnate gods. So like in Egypt, you get the idea of the Pharaoh being an indwelling of, of what is Ra. And uh, that, that's who lived. It was a hybrid being. Um, and then others believe that, that certain classes were descended from gods. Um, so there were these human hybrid demigods. That's the idea. Uh, and that's because of this whole relationship and how things get entangled between these gods and men, uh, gifts were given to special or loyal servants. So you have heroes of the days that maybe they were gifted by the gods and that's why they were able to perform their heroic functions. And those were gifts from the gods because they were doing something for them. Uh, oftentimes these gifts came at price. These, these spiritual beings would deal with humans and there was always a price. We see that in a lot of our stories nowadays too. Like we even, we even to the point where like we recognize like they sold their soul to Satan to get this. Like that idea. It's a very old idea. Um, and what we see with, with the Greek culture that, that Paul's going to address, a lot of this is seeped into the Greek culture. So these ideas are very, very, very similar. Very similar. Different names, different polishes. But... Uh, even when you dig into languages, you see there's even similarities in the original language between beings. Jumping into a second temple worldview, again in general, the material world is spoken into existence by God. It's created by God. It's not created through the material of other gods. It is a separate thing created good by God. So that's going to dictate, we look at these views and I don't know where we're at on these views, but, but it's going to dictate how you look at nature. It's going to dictate how you look at whether something is good or bad. Um, so their natural world, they're looking at the natural world differently. 
Um, again, the Hebrews, very similar. You have the heavens, you have land, and you have the underworld. So there's a, still this idea that's, that you have these, that's what composes creation. Um, one creator God, Yahweh. They believe that other spiritual beings exist but are subservient. Uh, some in clear rebellion. We get the rebellious spiritual beings right away in Genesis 1 through 11. We see that multiple times. Um, humans created to serve with God. This is an important distinction. And this is an important distinction in how you approach gifts. And this is the reason it's important is when Paul is addressing the Greeks in 1 Corinthians 12, the Corinthians want gifts. And that's why Paul says the gifts are for serving each other and serving the church. The Greeks are used to approaching the altars, making their sacrifice, leaving their gifts in order to get something for themselves in a selfish manner. Does that make sense? That's, that's going to dictate how they approach the Holy Spirit giving them a gift. So Paul is, that's part of what Paul's correcting with 1 Corinthians 12. Um, humans are created to serve with God. God enjoys humanity, though troubling at times. The idea, like God is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden to go and subdue the earth and make things better. That's Yahweh. That's what he wanted. It's not Yahweh got tired and Yahweh needs people to finish his job. That wasn't the idea. It's a completely different view of God. And it's going to be a completely different view of what you do with your spiritual gifting. Um, that's why you see Paul harping on the humility and serving each other all the time in these passages with the spiritual gifts. Um, we see that some humans are elevated to serve, but they're never, they're never equated with God. There's no, there's no incarnate human. You have Jesus, who is Yahweh, and that's it. There's no the sons of Jesus that continue to rule the church as half, you know, as God and man. That, that doesn't exist. Um, and we saw that Yahweh bestows his spirit on few to accomplish his will up into the point of Pentecost. Um, so coming out of that, when we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, there's a worship of many gods. At the time in, in Corinth, Aphrodite had made a comeback, and Isis, who was from Egypt, was brought to the fore, forefront in worship. Uh, you had a little bit of Poseidon worship. Um, there was the belief that the city was founded by these demigods that we talked about. So people still would try to consult the spirits of these people that founded their city. Um, and they, again, they would offer sacrifices and gifts to certain gods to attain certain blessings or skills. And gifts are for your personal gain. Um, what, what Paul is addressing right away, and I think needs to be like emphasized with these spiritual gifts, which I keep saying, the Holy Spirit is doing it all. It's one spirit. You don't have to go to different gods to get what you want or to get your gifts. So there's that difference. That's why he's harping. Why does Paul keep saying, which is one spirit, which is one God, which is one spirit, which is one God. He is driving it in driving it in, one God. The gifts are from the one Holy Spirit. You don't have to earn the gifts. You just, you don't have to earn the gifts. It says if you ask, he's going to give you gifts. That's a giant difference. Um, and they are for the benefit of the body and the Edenic mandate, that idea that you're bringing heaven to earth. That's from the first 
part of Genesis all the way to the end, the idea that we're, we're bringing heaven to earth. That's what the gifts are for. They're not for self-serving. And if you want to look um, at revivals in different times where God has poured out, it seems like more, or people are just in tune more with Holy Spirit. I don't know what you want to call those times. They run into trouble when the gifts start to get used for personal gain. And it's, it's us reverting back to pagan tradition when we do that. It's us reverting back to a way that our ancestors of thousands and thousands of years ago would have viewed it. And it, it, it seems to ruin things because it's not for us, it's for the body and for God. And um, that's just kind of where I go with that as far as the worldview. It's a completely different worldview for Hebrews and Greek, and it's a completely different worldview for us. In approaching 1 Corinthians 12, we see that Paul's really, really hitting home what these gifts are for and the idea of Holy Spirit in us. There is this selfish part that Holy Spirit is in us, and I wouldn't say it's selfish, but it's, it's the self-focus. The Holy Spirit's in us to help us defeat sin in our life, to help us combat. Sin doesn't have a hold on us, but we deal with it. The Holy Spirit's there to help you deal with it. And the gifts are to edify the body. And um, as we talk about next week, we're going to talk about the early church from like, like 100 to 500 A.D., to see what's still going on at that time, because we keep finding more and more of this. Um, you, you get the sense that this is kind of a thought that carries through. And uh, we lose it at some point. We lose our reverence for the spiritual gifts and, and the, uh, the work of Holy Spirit. We lose, we lose what it's for at times. When we lose what it's for, sometimes it just disappears for a while in history. Sometimes it's just, it, it's still there. 100% it's still there. I mean, we've already seen the Holy Spirit's now at this point. I mean, this is where we're at. This is a list of what Holy Spirit's are doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Through different ages, if you will, of church and, and, and Judeo-Christian history, there's, the thing that's new is that it's in all of us as of 2,000 years ago, but you know, that's 2,000 years ago. That, I mean, it's an, it's an old thought that it's in all of us now. But, but let's just look at this. This is what I've been trying to drive home. The creative solutions are there throughout the New Testament, throughout the letters of Paul, and throughout Acts. Um, the combating against depravity and sin is there in Galatians 5. And then I just started splitting up lists. You have the, the idea of an empowered helper. You have those that serve, exhort, helps, giving, um, and you could add more. Teaching, leading, you have the apostles, the pastors, the teachers, the gifted administration, pointed people to the Messiah. You have tongues, which in this case of Acts 2, it was people receiving tongues of other languages to, to bring people to Christ. Um, you have teaching, you have the, the gift of evangelism, you have him as the counselor, he's bringing peace, the development of faith, the spiritual gift of faith, of healing, of mercy, you help those to prophesy. Um, we're going to look at prophecy at a later date, but prophecy, 
discernment, discernment that, that distinguish, distinguishing between spirits. It's a weird thing for us because we say discernment now. But when he's talking about distinguishing between servants, he's meaning it literal, like you need to be able to distinguish between whether what these, who these spirits are and um, you know, are, they, are they of the serpent or are they of the Holy Spirit? And uh, words of knowledge and wisdom, the interpreting of the tongues. So, so all the categories are the same. It's, it's the same. It's, so what we have is we can definitely see in the Bible, and no one really argues this for the most part, you have a continuationist view of what Holy Spirit's are doing through the Bible. And next week we're going to talk about what he's doing for those first hundred years now that more of that information is coming out and we find more of these scrolls. Um, how did it look? Was it different? If it was different, when did it start being different? Um, we're going to look at that. We're going to talk a little bit about the continuationist, cessationist conflict spectrum that people are on. Um, but I just want to drive home. It's, it's, it's the same. This is all available to us. Holy Spirit is the same. He's an eternal being. He's been doing this stuff. It's it. Have I made my case? Okay. So, so if you have anybody wondering, like, because they, I hear people say all the time, things just change. It's different. Why did it get different? You know, it's different then and it's different. I just point them to to going back and just studying more in the Bible about how it's he's doing the same stuff. So that's where I'll end today. Next week, we'll pick up with stuff that's not in the Bible, looking at history and writers from that time, the church fathers, those who have, at their very core, influenced what we believe. Um, and so we're going to be talking about the patristics, which is what they call that time of the early fathers and what they're writing. Um, we're going to talk about cessationism versus continuationism, talk a little bit about the Reformation, and just a lot of things pertaining to Holy Spirit and what he's doing and what he's been doing for thousands of years that we don't really realize. Um, so that's where I'm going to end. I'm going to pray. And then if you'd like to come up for prayer, Jonathan is going to be playing music. And I know Bree is coming up to pray with people and there will be people to pray with you. Um, so let's pray. Lord, we love you. Again, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Holy Spirit, we're thankful for you. We recognize you. We recognize your place. We recognize you all over the scriptures. We do not ignore you. We love you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for the mystery that you are in us and that you want to be in us. Lord, we're just thankful. So Holy Spirit, as we talk about you, stir up questions in our hearts, stir up the questions in our minds. Stir it up so that we're provoked to spend more time with you, to work with you in new ways. Stir up that faith 
in seeing you do what you want to do. We love you, Holy Spirit. Be with us throughout this week. Teach us how to hear you. Again, we love you. And in the name of King Jesus, we pray this. Amen.